in your house together. Father, we recognize that this hour is like no other hour in the whole week, in the whole world, Lord, when your people gather together. There's nothing else like it. We thank you, Father. It's kind of a rehearsal for eternity, but also a preparing of our hearts for the duties and the tasks that you've called us to this week. So, Father, I thank you for the strength. I thank you for your word. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we just want to say thank you, Jesus. We love you. We really love you. And just pray that you'd purify our love, cleanse our hearts, quicken our minds, speak to us by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that wrote the word. May that Holy Spirit now speak the word anew and afresh to us. In Christ's name, amen. We're looking at spirit-led worship this morning, and we're going over to Ephesians chapter 5. It's not been printed in your bulletin, so if you have your little uh, calculators in front of you, you can go there, or you can turn, <laughs> turn like I do to, to the Word of God that's in your pews. But Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to read just a few verses together, and I'd like us to stand together in reverence for the Word from Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be continually filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in fear. Verse 18 again, but be filled continually with the Holy Spirit, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Please be seated. The major truth of this brief passage here in Ephesians chapter 5 is that all of our Christian living, all of our Christian life, our Christian walk, walking the worthy walk, the whole idea of the Christian life and experience is based upon the biblical truth of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going away, and I'm going to send another who is just like me. So the Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. You're not afraid of Jesus. You don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit this morning. But it's all based upon being filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to take you quickly through the book of Ephesians, some of the verses on the Holy Spirit, till we get to our text. And Ephesians 1, verse 13 in him whom you trusted after you heard the word of truth, you hear the word of God and then you trust in Jesus Christ, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you believed and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Christ, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's given you the arabon, the down payment, the promise that we are one of his for all of eternity. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Over in Ephesians 2 and verse 18. For through whom we have both access by the Spirit to the Father. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And here we are. We have prayer access to the Father by the Holy Spirit. 
Chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. And having been built on the foundation of the apostle and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows to a holy temple in the Lord, verse 22, in whom you are being built together as a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. We are being built together as a habitation, a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. If you were to follow us home this morning to uh, 17 Hickory Road in Denville, you'd say that's where the dyers live. That's their habitation. The Holy Spirit says, you are my habitation. And when you gather together, we become a holy habitation unto the Lord. So gathered in his name, a habitation. And he says he dwells in the midst of the praises of his people. Chapter 3 and verse 5 which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, has now been revealed by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit seals us. The Holy Spirit makes us to be a habitation, a dwelling place, a residence for God, for God's people to gather together. And here we have the fact that he reveals the Word of God to us. As we come to the Word of God, as you have your devotions, always ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate, to open your eyes, that you might hear something brand new, if I were to come to you this morning and say, you had your devotions today? And say, well, well, yeah, yeah, I had my devotions. What did God say to you? Could you tell me what God said to you that was new from, your word, from his word? So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of revelation. In chapter 3, verse 16, I'm not even to my text yet, uh, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. The Holy Spirit strengthens us in the inner man, gives us spiritual strength. Chapter 4 and verse 4, uh, he is the spirit of unity, brings us together in unity. Chapter 4, verse 30 tells us, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Obey the word of God and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Chapter 6, verse 17 and 18 tells us that the word of God is quick and it is powerful. Take the helmet of salvation, which is the sword of the spirit and praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit there it's coupling the word of God and prayer with the spirit of God and then of course in our text this morning the command in verse 18 but be filled with the Holy Spirit be continually filled being filled on a continuing basis in the original that becomes the heart of the Christian life. Only as we are filled continually, as we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, moved by the Holy Spirit, uh, yielded to the Holy Spirit, functioning by the Holy Spirit, do we really know the plan and the power of God in our lives. You can't experience the plan and the power of God or move in the will of God without the Holy Spirit working within you. And so... The Apostle Paul here by the Holy Spirit says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Back in Galatians chapter 3, Paul is talking to the church at Galatia and says, are you so foolish that you began in the Spirit that you're going to try and complete the spiritual journey on your own? No way, Paul says. No way can you do that. You began in the Spirit. The Spirit convicted you. The Spirit brought you to faith. The Spirit keeps you. The Spirit fills you. Uh, the Spirit uh, anoints you and blesses you. We entered into the family of God by the Spirit. Can you continue on in the flesh? And yet so often I think we do that. We get started, and we begin to walk, and then we begin to walk. Oh, I can do this. I can walk on my own. I can do it all by myself. 
born again by the Spirit and planted with the internal Spirit. And we only grow as we're filled by the Holy Spirit. Now every believer has the Spirit of God. So you can relax. If you're a believer this morning, we all have the Spirit of God. But at each moment, we need to be filled, continually filled by the Spirit of God. That's the key to the passage in front of us. Uh, let me just expand our understanding a little bit as we think of some of the people in the, Old, in the New Testament. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 tells us, and Jesus being full of the Spirit. John the baptizer, the forerunner of Jesus, the greatest man who ever lived before Jesus, up to that time in Luke 1 it says, and he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. John the baptizer's mother and father, Elizabeth and Zacharias, were both filled with the Holy Spirit. We move along further in the New Testament. We know Peter, one of the great voices in the New Testament church, on the day of Pentecost, filled with others with the Holy Spirit. We move along two chapters beyond that, and Peter is speaking. In Acts 4, verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke. Move along two chapters beyond that to Acts chapter 6. They're calling out officials for the new church. And it says, select men who are filled with the Spirit. We move one chapter beyond that to Acts chapter 7. And we find Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He's being stoned. They're, they're hurling stones at this man. And we read there, and he being filled with the Holy Spirit looked up into heaven. And what did Stephen say? Get them, Lord. They shouldn't do that, No. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, Lord, don't hold this. Don't charge them with this sin. Only a person filled with the Holy Spirit could say that. Scratch my car and see what I say to you. <laughs> They're hurling stones at them. And filled with the Holy Spirit, Lord, don't charge this sin to them. Later on, we meet a man named Saul who becomes Paul. And Ananias goes into this man. He's blinded. And he said, you're going to go in, he's going to be filled, he's going to receive his sight, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit for the ministry to which I have called him. There was a man in Paul's company named Barnabas. Barnabas the encourager. We read of Barnabas in Acts 24. He was a righteous man filled with the Holy Spirit. You get the idea. Throughout the New Testament, men are filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no way an individual believer can function in the power of God apart from the control of the Holy Spirit. That's standard number one. And we need to go back to the place where we first yielded ourselves, yielded control to the Spirit of God in our lives. In the early church, that's what happened. People were filled with the Spirit, and they were able to function. The reality of yielding to the Spirit of God releases a divine power enabling us to do things that only God can do. Stephen, only God could say that. Forgive them. The Holy Spirit enables us to say and to do things that only God can say and do. We see that as a means to be controlled by the Spirit of God, yielded to His power. It means the self has died. Sin has been confessed. And we're able to be obedient to his spirit. We're always trying to recapture the early church. For the last 60 years, I've heard that we've got to get back to the New Testament church. 
You want to get back to the New Testament church? Get back to a spirit-filled church. A church that's dependent upon the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. I think we've made it so complicated today. It's really quite simple. We yield control to the Spirit of God. The same Holy Spirit who was in the New Testament church will be in the church today. Paul here in Ephesians 5 says, be kept being filled. There's a real continuing sense, over and over, continually being filled. It's a contrast, there's a command, there are consequences. The contrast here is don't be filled with wine. Don't do it the way the world does it. Don't depend upon the things of the world to get you through this life. Don't do it like the pagans do. Do it in God's way. There's a command then. The command is continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. God is not interested in our future love. He's interested in where we are today. Where are we today in our love, in our relationship, in our yieldedness to the Spirit of God? Because today is the only day we'll ever live. Be continually kept filled. And there are three results of that. One, there's a result to ourselves, one, the result to God, and one, a result to others. The first result is singing. A spirit-filled person has a heart filled with joy. And I, and I really like that. Um, speaking to one another. We have to be able to hear one another when we sing. And so uh, you did a good job this morning. I heard you this morning. Singing. We speak to one another by singing. Singing to one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making Melody in your heart. Isn't that great? We don't have to make melody with our ears. It has to be from our heart. So we don't have to be good singers. We just have to make that melody in our hearts to the Lord. That's the consequence. A spirit-filled person's heart overflows with song. And that's what happens. He goes on to a second consequence here. That's where I want to focus this morning. A spirit-filled person is rightly related to himself. He is whole. He is healthy. We use the word whole and healthy. We talk about having peace, the peace of God. You go back to the Old Testament, shalom. Shalom means wholeness. If we have the wholeness of God, the peace of God is in our hearts and in our lives. The word worry means to divide, to separate in the Greek. But if you have the peace of God, you're not divided, you're not separated, you have a wholeness. Over in James chapter 1, it tells about the unstable man. He's unstable in all of his ways because he trusts man, he trusts God for eternity, but he doesn't trust God for today. Oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven, but I don't know if God can take care of me today. That's the unstable man. And so he's talking here about uh, stability and wholeness. And, you know, being filled with the Spirit of God takes the stress and strain out of life. Oh, I hear people everywhere, go, oh, there's so much stress, and now the holidays are going to be here, and once, once Thanksgiving hits, it's, you know, that next month is a blur for some of us. Uh, the stress and strain, the Holy Spirit takes the stress and strain out of life. It's a tremendous joy and rightness and self-rightness with the Holy Spirit working in our lives. The second consequence is in verse 20. So be filled with the Holy Spirit, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A spirit-filled, spirit-conscious, word-filled, obedient, faithful Christian is going to give thanks for everything. Think about Psalm 100. Most of us know it. Enter into his gates with 
thanksgiving. How do you come into God's presence? With thanksgiving as a congregation, into your devotional life, into your prayer life. Come into his presence with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise and be thankful unto him. In case you missed it, three of them right there. Gates with thanksgiving, courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. There's the cue to coming into his presence. A spirit-filled person is one who's going to have a heart that is thankful. I'm convinced that the single greatest act of worship is thankfulness. Thanksgiving, rendering thanks to God. That's the epitome of worship. The highest and best and the ultimate in worship is to have a thankful heart. Because you see, thanks crucifies self. Thanks recognizes that God is the source of everything. Thanks is able to say in the midst of the good and the difficult, thank you, God. I praise you, God. We sing it, though he gives and takes away. Thanks sees beyond the circumstances and embraces God. It sees beyond the pain to the sovereignty of God. Romans 8.28, we love to sit in that rocking chair, don't we, and rock away. All things work together for good to those who love God. And that's mostly your life, not my life. What it happens. It's for all of us. All things work together. All, all things work together for good. All things see the hand of God working, the good and the difficult. And thanks is the ultimate act of praise. Because it says, God, I thank you even for the hard times. I thank you even for. I'll give you a blank there. Fill in the blank, whatever it is you're going through. I thank you even for, it might be a person. It might be a place. It might be a thing. It might be a circumstance. I thank you for this because I know you can use it for my good and you will be conforming me to the image of Christ. We read over in the book of Romans about Jesus. Though a son, yet he learned obedience by the things he suffered. If it's true for Jesus, it ought to be true for us. Joseph, who was betrayed by his, by his brothers, thrown into a pit, many years later, encounters his brothers, and he says to them, you meant it for evil. He doesn't gloss over it. He said, it was evil. What you did was, was bad. It was evil. But there's that U-turn word, but... But there's a U-turn where he turned it all on. But God meant it for good. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. The oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job. Job says, naked I came into the world, naked I shall leave. And that's okay. Because the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but he doesn't stop there. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't understand it. I don't like it, perhaps. It may not be the way I would have written the script, but the sovereign God has written it. And blessed be his name. We pray for God to open doors and close doors. And I've done it in my own life. God, would you open that door and close, close the door? And when he closes it, I go, mm. <laughs> why'd you do that? We pray for open doors and for closing doors. Blessed be the name of the Lord when he closes that door and doesn't let us go through it as well. That's a spirit-filled person. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says, for all things are for your sakes. Have you ever heard that before? All things are for your sakes. 
In other words, everything God does is for you. Can you take that in this morning? Everything God does is for you. Sometimes it's a blessing, sometimes it's a trial, but everything is for you. And Paul goes on to explain that, that the abundant grace might through the giving of thanks redound to the glory of God. So we have got the glory of God, the giving of thanks, and all things that happen to us. See how they build? All things happen to us. Giving thanks, and God gets it's for the glory of God. God is being glorified by our being thankful. God, this is for your glory. No, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much I don't understand the pain or the problem. Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, being enriched in everything. And here he's talking in 2 Corinthians to a group of people who are extremely impoverished. He uses the word of a ship that's gone down. So you have a ship, that's your business, and your ship has sunk. You've got nothing left, and he says, you've been enriched. Your ship has just sunk. Everything you had is lost. And Paul says, you are enriched. God enriches you for the praise of his glory, which causes us to give thanks. You see, the ultimate expression of response to God, what God has done is thankfulness. If you're a thankless person, you've missed the point. The whole of the Christian life comes to the place of thanksgiving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he goes on to say that the abundance by many, thanksgiving unto God, and he ends that chapter by saying, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift, all wrapped up in Christ, because this gives God the glory. So let's look at the text again and ask some questions. What kind of thanksgiving is Paul after? First of all, when are we to be thankful? Verse 20, giving thanks always. Yeah, oh, that makes it simple, doesn't it? Nothing's left out. Giving thanks always. And you're saying, oh, you don't know my problems. You don't know my troubles. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my boss. You don't know my family members, or whatever it is, or my neighbors, or whatever it is, or, or the sickness, or the hurt. No, I don't know. But God knows. The God who is, calls every star by name, who has every hair on your head numbered, he doesn't know what's going on. I may not know. But that God knows, and he says, be thankful in all things. Because God is in control. And that's what we're saying when we say thankfulness to God. God, you're in control. You're working to conform me to your image that all things might go back to your glory. 1 Corinthians 5.18, very simple. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God. Don't know what God's will is in this situation? <laughs> give thanks and you'll be in God's will. Always giving thanks. Even when... God brings trials into our lives. We like to, we like to gripe. And sometimes we even like to say, my problems are worse than your problems. <laughs> you think you have a bad? Let me tell you what's happening to me. James chapter 1 says, when trials come into your life, count it all joy. Another version says, when, when trials come into your life, don't resist them, but welcome them as 
friends. Ever think about that? A trial? Welcome, friend. Because God is doing something in your life. He's bringing about a perfection and maturing. We want to second-guess God. We want to orchestrate things. We want to complain and grumble. And all the Bible asks us to do is to be thankful. This is the will of God. There are three categories of people and, uh, who give thanks. Number one, and perhaps this is the easiest, there are those who are thankful after the blessing. Oh, you say, I'm one of those. I can be thankful after I see God's hand, after I see God's blessing. That's the easy part. God just blessed you, and you say, thank you, God. <sighs> Nearly had an accident. Thank you, God, I didn't have that accident. I was sick. God healed me. I lost a job. God gave me another job. I needed something, and God provided. After the blessing, we are thankful. That's the easy part. Thank you, Lord. Well, it may not be so easy, because Jesus healed ten lepers, didn't he? Only one returned to give thanks. But I'm going to assume that you're in that 10% this morning, the type that give thanks after the blessing. And it's biblical. Go back into the Old Testament, over to Exodus chapter 14. God expects us to be thankful after the blessing. It is right. The children of Israel have come to the Red Sea. Moses waves his hand. You saw the movie, right? Okay. Moses waves his hand, and the sea parts, and the children of Israel walk through, and Pharaoh says, hey, if the Hebrews can do it, we can do it. Let's go down, down. And, of course, all, all of Pharaoh's army marches into the sea. What happens? The sea crashes in on them, and not one of them is left alive. And the children of Israel walk through on dry ground. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord God did on the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord. And what did they do in chapter 15? They began to sing. They sang praises. I won't sing it this morning, but most of you probably know it. Uh, the song of Moses, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider are thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and my salvation. And by the way, strength, song, and salvation appears a number of times in the Old Testament. He is my strength, my song, my salvation. He is my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Pharaoh's chariots and hosts he has cast into the sea. And the song goes on and on and on for 19 verses. They're singing away. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. Who is like unto you, O Lord? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And then it concludes, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. And that's the bottom line. He's going to reign forever and ever. This is giving thanks after the blessing. We find over in Revelation chapter 15, a wonderful picture. Uh, the Lord's people have come through a, a mighty time of... Uh, great tribulation. A number are saved in this great bloodbath of the tribulation. The seven plagues have been poured out, and there are people over in Revelation who are thankful, and they sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. And that song is, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God. They've just come through the tribulation, the great tribulation. <laughs> And they're singing, great and marvelous are you, Lord God. Thou art the king of saints. They sing. There is a time for giving thanks after victories are won. There are times when the wars have been uh, passed. The conquerings have been accomplished. God has done something. We ought to say thanks. We ought to be thankful for the blessing. Let's go on to level two. 
the ability to give thanks before the battle begins. We just did afterwards, now before. This is where the people of faith come in. And some of you are saying, that's me, that's me. I'm one of those people there. People who believe God even before something happens. There are people who are celebrating the victory before the war even begins. They're saying, Lord, I see the problem coming. I see what's going to happen. And I'm going to trust you for the victory. I think of Jesus over in John chapter 11. He goes to the grave of his friend Lazarus. He's waited four days. He's known that Lazarus is dead. They're weeping and, and wailing at the graveside, at the, at the tomb. Jesus is weeping among them. And I think Jesus is weeping because he's saying the enemy has done this. It was never intended that man should die. And I think Jesus is weeping, saying, look, look at what, what sin has done, brought death. And he's about, he says, remove the stone. And the, and the sisters are saying, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. It's, 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 you don't want to do that. He says, remove the stone. They took the stone from the place where the dead was laid. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. Thank you for what you're going to do. There are people like that who can say, Lord, I see it coming. I know there's trouble on its way. Thank you for what you're going to do. And he said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And he came out thanking in advance. That's the ability to say thanks before things even unfold. There's a great example of that over in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 in the Old Testament. God's people, Judah, are about to engage in a war with a very strong army, the Ammonites. The king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, I used to love that name as a kid, Jehoshaphat, you know. Uh, he's a faithful man of prayer. He's a good guy. And he calls for a time of fasting, seeking the Lord. Jehoshaphat goes to the Lord, tells the Lord all about it, he says, Lord, this is going to be your battle. We can't do it. We could never win it. We can't handle it. We can't do this thing on our own. And he bowed before the Lord. He pours out his heart and says, Lord, you're just going to have to do this for us. You're going to have to take care of this situation. I can't handle it. He surrenders. And you wonder why we worship with our hands lifted up. We're surrendering to the Lord, aren't we? Somebody stuck a gun in my back this morning. I put my hands up. I'm surrendering. And uh, so you can surrender to the Lord in prayer. I can't handle this. I see something bad's coming, but I can't handle it. Jehoshaphat finished his prayer. He said, it's time to thank the Lord. Yeah, it sounds kind of presumptuous, I suppose. You haven't had the battle yet. You're going to praise the Lord first. Yes, we're going to praise the Lord first. In fact, it's the first thing we're going to do. And they rose early in the morning, verse 20 says, and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. They're going to trust God from the start. Believe in the Lord your God, so you shall be established. Believe his word, and you shall prosper. Believe his word. We're going to believe God for a victory. And when they consulted, consulted the people, he appointed the singers to the Lord. In Israel, the Marines didn't land first. The choir landed first. Can you imagine this morning we say to Ramey, Ramey, uh, we're going to take a group from this church here over to Ukraine. Take the best singers, and they're going to lead us in battle. Got any volunteers coming behind you? That's, that's pretty much what they did. They're going out into battle, and they send the choir in first. Not because the choir was that bad, but because they were... <laughs> Men who had spent all of their life focused on music. It's time for the big war. They hear the word choir fall out. 
You're going in first. Praise the Lord. And they set the ambush, and you know the rest of the account. They won a great victory. It took them three days to gather all the loot afterwards. And so that's praising God before the battle. So afterwards, before, the third one, during the battle. And maybe this is the hardest, being thankful during the battle. God's choice people have done this. We talked about uh, Daniel several months ago. A decree has gone out that no one should pray to anyone but Darius. Daniel said, doesn't make any difference to me. I'm going to pray to my God. I'm going to up to the prayer chamber with my windows open, my doors open, and I'm going to look toward Jerusalem and I'm going to pray to God. And three times a day he bowed down and the word says he gave thanks. He wasn't crying out for deliverance. He may have, but the Bible tells us he gave thanks. He knew what to do in the midst of trouble. Jonah, think about Jonah. (laughs) What a situation to be in. We hear it as a Bible narrative, but have you ever thought what it's like to be inside a giant fish? For three days, all that acid and uh, uh, seaweed that's gathered around his head. And and he, he finally repents, and he says in Jonah, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came in unto me in thy holy temple. Inside a great fish, a holy temple. Any place can be God's temple. And what was Jonah's prayer? I will offer sacrifice unto thee with a voice of, if you don't know what it is, thanksgiving. I'm going to thank God. Here in the midst of this fish, I will offer thanksgiving because salvation is of the Lord. In Acts chapter 5, the early church is being terribly persecuted. And uh, they're taken in and they're beaten and they're beaten and they're beaten again and they're sent, they're sent out and said, don't preach anymore in that name of Jesus. And they come back and they say, thank you, God, we were counted worthy. Thank you, Lord, you counted us worthy to suffer. Think of Paul and Silas over in Acts chapter 16. Their feet are stretched in these stocks, stretched out in great pain as far as they could. Muscles are taunt. They've beaten and bloodied when we hear from uh, Acts chapter 16. Unbelievable pain. And what are Paul and Silas doing? Singing and giving thanks and praise to God. That brought about a revival. It's indicative of your spiritual character, how you give thanks, how you worship God in connection with your heart. If the only time you can worship God and thank God is after the blessing, you're there, but you can go a little bit higher. A little bit higher, you can thank Him before the battle. And then the ultimate here in spirit-led, spirit-directed thanksgiving is in the midst of the battle. Let's go back to our text again and Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things. Giving thanks always for what? All things. Not many things, most things, some things, but all things. Always for all things. You mean even the stuff that I don't like? Even troublesome stuff? Stuff that I don't want in my life? Because that's the way God is working and conforming us. We're to be thankful for everything. There's no limit. Just the fullness of all that God has done for us. Think about all that God has done for you. 
The Bible says be thankful for all men. Democrats, Republicans, Independents, all people don't even know that there is a political party out there. Be thankful for all, be thankful for everyone. Be thankful for all things, for all things that we have in Christ Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, for the Word of God, for the family of God, but even the trials and the trusts that come into our lives. Be thankful for all things. But there's only one kind of person who can be thankful. It's a humble person. And what does humility have to do with thankfulness? A humble person knows he doesn't deserve anything. So the smallest thing for that person is a cause for thanksgiving. If you have a problem in your life with being thankful, maybe it's not the problem of lack of thanksgiving. The problem may be pride. I deserve better than that. God really shouldn't treat me that way. Why doesn't God hear my prayers? Why doesn't God do things the way I want them done? If you know you deserve nothing, if you see yourself as a sinner for whom nothing is deserved, and anything God gives us is his grace. And a thankful person has a humble heart. <clears throat> so when are we to be thankful? Always. What are we to be thankful for? All things. And then how are we to be thankful here? Uh, the end of verse 20. Giving thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit gives thanks to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got the Trinity all there, don't we? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all involved in our worship, in our praise, in our thankfulness, giving thanks for all things. To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul isn't just stringing words together here to make this paragraph a little bit longer. He, first of all, he is Lord. If we understand he is Lord, he is sovereign. We're going to be thankful people. We're going to bow down and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I don't always know what you're doing, but thank you that you do know what you're doing. He is Lord. He is Redeemer. And he is the Christ, the anointed, the one who fulfills the scripture. Consistent with who he is and what he does. That's a fabulous truth. No matter what happens in my life, it will turn out for my good and to his glory. Of course, I can't just say this morning, give thanks and everything, because if you're not a Christian this morning, that doesn't make any sense to you, and you can't do that. But if you're a believer here this morning, and you have Christ interceding for you, he ever lives to make intercession for you? And if you have his life, and you know his sonship in you, you can give thanks for everything, controlled by him, his child, his heir, interceding for you, gives us a cause to be thankful. We are by nature so given to wanting our own way. And if we don't get it, we get upset. And we become unthankful. In fact, in Romans 1.21, it's put this way about the pagan. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Remember, the troubles come to bring God the glory. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. God wants his people to be thankful. Paul says elsewhere, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, 
Make your request known unto God with thanksgiving. Amazing how many times thanksgiving is in the Bible in relationship to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Colossians 2 tells us, be thankful. Hebrews 13, 15, lift up your lips and with your lips utter to God the praise that comes through thanksgiving. David in the Old Testament said, I will publish with a voice of thanksgiving and tell all thy wondrous works. We of all people should be thankful, not just at Thanksgiving, but every day. If we never had anything else but Jesus Christ, if that's all we had, we should be thankful this morning. Because in having Christ, we have everything we need for time and for eternity. In Christ, we have it all. We have everything. And that is spirit-led thanksgiving. And as we close this part this morning, and we'll be singing and have some announcements, I just want to ask the question, are we spirit-led in our thanksgiving? Am I continuously being filled with the Holy Spirit? Or haven't I, perhaps I haven't thought about that lately, making sure that the Holy Spirit is continuously infilling, that I'm yielding my life in obedience, in control to the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to take a moment, then I'll, then I'll close this part out in prayer. But if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about just yielding control anew and afresh this morning, because you haven't done it for quite a while, let's do that together. Father, our hearts cry out this morning for renewal, for refreshment, to allow your spirit to fall anew and afresh, to break up fallow ground, to move through our lives in a new and wonderful way that would bring us thankful hearts, grateful hearts, praising you for your great faithfulness. Hearts that really rejoice, that sing forth your praises, that testify to your grace, that say you are sovereign, you are Lord, all things are under your control, and I am under your control, and allowing your Holy Spirit to control in my life. Father, I pray you just take the word this morning that is necessary, and remove the chaff, but bring that into our hearts and lives, that we need to hear for renewal, for revival, for individual refreshing, for thanksgiving in our hearts and our lives. As we look at our lives, that we might realize who you are and praise and thank you for all things that your good hand gives. And though you give and though you take away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And every blessing you pour out, we want to pour back in praise. In Jesus' name, amen.